1: Tommy is here with me to start. Doc will join me to finish uh, the show. Uh, Doc is calling the game with Kenny Albert on Saturday night against the Ravens, the preseason finale. Um, By the way, Tommy, yesterday Ron Rivera sang about, you know, what he would do with the starters on Saturday night against uh, the Ravens. He said, very limited, very limited Uh, time for the starters in the preseason finale I went back and looked uh, at what he said last year because I think a lot of people took very limited as oh the starters are actually going to play some in the preseason finale they didn't play at all in last year's preseason finale last year when asked about the starters against the Ravens in the preseason finale he said quote The starters will play what we think they need to play, closed quote. My guess is the starters don't play at all on Saturday night. That's just a guess. He uh, essentially led you to believe that there's a chance, like he did last year, but last year he didn't play any of the starters. And my guess is is that probably will be the case Saturday night, even though I don't think it should be the case. But go ahead.
2: But doesn't Washington want to break that – preseason winning streak for the Ravens don't they want to be the team to break the streak
1: you know you're you gonna hear, hear you're that gonna, was the question you're gonna hear that was
2: the question
1: yes Go ahead. no that what what are you saying that was the question to him
2: that was the question a couple of times this week uh to the coach and, what, what, and to other players actually
1: and what were their answers
2: well here's the best answer here's the best question uh Somebody asked Casey Tuhill, this was a question. If they do win, will they pour the Gatorade on head coach Ron Rivera?
1: Somebody really, somebody didn't ask that. You're being serious? Yes,
2: somebody did. No, it's in the transcript.
1: And what was Tuhill's answer?
2: I'm not usually in charge of that. He said, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't really handle Gatorade dumping responsibilities.
1: I'll tell you what, and this is in all seriousness. By the way, you're going to hear Do- Doc later because I had to record Doc earlier this morning um, because, you know, he's a very busy guy. You, you have to, f- you, you got to definitely accommodate his schedule when you want to have him of on, which, which we always want to have him on. He's not always available. He's got many, many options. But, um, of course, with Doc, this would be a big, big opportunity. You know to beat the belt to to beat the Beltway bullies and to end their winning streak. If if they actually beat Baltimore and they poured Gatorade on Ron Rivera at the end of that, that would become another mocking moment for this franchise. I mean, it yes, would be it, would. it really would. And even if it was done with like a sense of humor, like ha 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 ha, it wouldn't matter because football fans around the world would say. Oh, my God, look at this loser of an organization. They're celebrating a preseason win with Gatorade over the coaches. Please, if anybody out there is listening, make sure you don't do that. Um, I think don't do that. I don't know. I think it would be kind of funny, too, if they actually did it to be funny. I don't think it would be received as anything other than, there goes that dumbass organization doing dumb things again.
2: You know there is a, there is a, an edge even in a preseason game. There is typically a little bit of an edge between the Ravens and, and now the Commanders. Remember a couple of years ago there was a big fight uh, during a preseason game up there where actually Jay Gruden and John Harbaugh were on the field yelling at each
1: other. It, it, it before the before the kickoff. Yes, I do remember that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so there's always a little bit of an edge, and let's not forget. I think it was 2014. <clears throat> this was this was the stadium where Robert Griffin III's career was was buried. It uh-huh. really was, for all intents and purposes, in that preseason game uh, where he, I think he basically had seven downs and had uh, no completions, three sacks. I mean, he just looked literally. Like a guy pulled out of
1: the stands to play quarterback.
2: And though they were, it was, the debate would continue a little bit after that. And you could argue when his it, well, career you're, ended.
1: You're not talking about 2013. Because 2013 was all in for week one.
2: No, I'm talking about 2014. Oh,
1: 2014. Okay, I thought you said 2013.
2: Yeah. 2014,
1: no, 2014. against the Ravens. I, I certainly remember the Detroit preseason game in 2015. This is interesting. I don't remember the game you're talking about.
2: I'll try to see if I can find it again, but uh, it was pretty bad. It was a pretty bad performance.
1: I remember. Uh, I remember. So there's the, always yeah, there's go,
2: always a little bit going on in a, in a Ravens preseason game with this season.
1: Uh, okay, I I don't really think so. I, I I don't, but but you do have a couple of examples. But I just, I, I've never felt like the Ravens, like there's any rivalry to a game against the Ravens. Um, by the way, the game that I remember specifically was the Detroit game, which really was Griffin's last salvo in D.C. It was 2015. We had not yet gotten the announcement. Kirk Cousins is going to be the starter for the season. Because remember, in the moment, that was a bit of a shocker. But after that yes. preseason game against Detroit, which turned into a disastrous performance for Griffin, the next week, Jay Gruden came out and said, Kirk Cousins is going to be the starter for this season. Yes. It wasn't just for the Baltimore game, the third preseason right. game. It was for this season. And... Um, and that really well, ended again, up yeah, be, being a surprise thing. And you knew then Griffin's days were numbered in D.C. Uh,
2: I, think, I think his carcass was buried on the field at MIT Bank Stadium in 2014 preseason when, in his only appearance in the game, he had three sacks, one interception, and a 27.1 passer rating.
1: <laughs> well, go, go to the 2014 season and find the game against the, the, the Bucks. That was the game, where literally I'll never forget. Cooley's film breakdown was, I can't really give you a film breakdown of the offense because Robert was so bad. I can't evaluate the other players, and and that that was uh, he got sacked. I, I want to. I'm, I'm trying to find the box score right now. Um, give me a second um, because that was perhaps the last time. He got a start for them, I think, um, because I think after that they started uh, – no, it was his next-to-last start. Sorry. And then he played at the very end of the year because uh, Colt McCoy got hurt. Um, the Tampa yes. Bay game in 2014, Robert Griffin III had a 17.0 QBR. Um, he was 23-32, of 32, 207 yards, a touchdown, intercepted twice, sacked six times in a 27-7 to 7 loss. Uh, at home, and, uh, yeah, and then the next year was when, yeah, I mean, his last, the, the the last, he only played in 2014. He never played, obviously, after that here, but, you know, Tommy, the right. 20, the... I... go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say. I will
2: be there just on Saturday night to uh, watch the festivities just in case some actual action does break out. The
1: 2015 preseason, this is something. I think I've shared before, I think, you, well, you won't remember because you don't remember anything, um, but I, I think I've shared this before, but uh, on my way to FedEx Field for the preseason opener against Cleveland, all right, this is now 2015, and there, there really aren't any necessary rumblings about Griffin being benched and Kirk Cousins winning the job. I mean, it was talked about as being an open competition for the job in 2015, but I think still most people thought that Griffin would be given the chance because obviously the relationship he had with the owner, et cetera. And I was on the phone talking to Mike Shanahan on my way out to FedEx Field. I forget what we were talking about, but he said something to me, and I'll never forget him saying this. He said, I really don't think that Robert's going to be in the league a year from now. And if he is, it will not be as a starting quarterback. He had no idea that Cousins was going to be named two weeks later or a week and a half later. Maybe he did as the starter because there was still a holdover or two from his staff. But I remember saying, what? And he said, just remember I told you this. I don't think Robert's going to be in this league a year from now, and if he is, it will be at best be as a backup, which was a shocking thing to say. But, you know, he obviously had conversations with various people and various teams, and Griffin did. You know, in 2015, I think, was the year that he wasn't on a roster, or 2016, excuse me, I don't think he was on a roster. Then he was in Cleveland, or maybe he was in Cleveland in 2016. Got injured, and then he, you know, was out a year. And then Baltimore signed him to be a backup for a couple of years, and then that was it. I mean, he wasn't exactly he was right, Cleveland, but he was pretty right close to Wal- right.
2: Yes, he was. He was in Cleveland right after Washington. Yeah, that was where Jeff Darlington wrote the famous article where they they did a workout with him, and he said he, uh, Darlington wrote. Uh, you could feel the earth move. It was so exciting.
1: <laughs> did he really? I don't remember yeah, that. I don't remember that. Um, oh, yes, he did. Anyway, enough about uh, RG3 and preseason and the whole thing. I I just wanted to point out which started this conversation is Rivera basically just, you know, in saying very limited, very limited, very limited, gave people the thought that maybe Carson Wentz will come out with the starters and play a series or two. And I'm just saying that last year he left it open that the starters would play as well, and they didn't play at all. I would guess that they're not going to play at all on Saturday night. I hope they play. It would be a change for him, and, you know, we've seen super slow starts. You know, Rivera historically as a head coach has had slow starting teams but very strong finishing teams. Um, you're right but this team this year can't afford a slow start we've talked about this a lot you can't lose to Jacksonville in the opener that would be disastrous on so many levels a nuclear nightmare a nuclear nightmare uh so you watched the Manti Teo documentary what'd you think
2: it's it's riveting it was unbelievable and uh, it was so confusing in terms of, who are you more angry about? Who do you blame? You know, I mean, there's so much going on in so many different directions. I mean, there's so many villains. There's not, not a hero in the bunch, unless you want to think Deadspin is. And I, I can't bring myself to, to actually say Deadspin is hero, because their whole purpose was to just embarrass the media. Uh, so uh I'm not a big fan of that. Uh so it was it was great. And uh it confirms what I know will never happen, but I think has to happen to save humanity and that's the the elimination of anonymity on the internet. Has to happen.
1: The elimination of anonymity of
2: anonymity
1: on the internet. Right.
2: You can't you can't like let's say for Facebook where all this happened. Mm-hmm. You can't sign up for Facebook until you present proof of who you are. And you have to use your name. Otherwise, it will just continue down this road of people, you know, threatening to kill people behind anonymous names and and conning people. I mean, enough people were being conned through the regular U.S. mail before we started the Internet, you know? Now I'll bet you the the, 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 the victims of peop of of con games are through the roof because of this. And I'm not look I'm not railing against the internet, but and I know you know the internet purists say you can't have this. I think that anonymity is really the biggest and dangerous thing on the on the web. I have no problem putting my name on every single thing I post, and I think everybody else should be held to the same standard.
1: All right, let's go back to who the biggest villain in this thing was. So if you had to choose, I mean, I think it's easy, uh, personally. I mean, Renaya uh, yes. Tuya Sosopo is the biggest villain. That, that person yes. who is now transitioned is an, was a horrible, horrible person. And wanted sympathy yes, for I, his or her position. I'm
2: sympathetic to him because, obviously, he was going through some very deep emotional issues at uh, the time. I, I understand. It's not an excuse what he did. It's not an excuse. I mean, he should be. He is the biggest villain, uh, you know, in, in that. But uh, I sort of uh, kind of sympathize with his emotional state at that time. It does not give him you know, a pass for what happened. And you're right, he's the biggest villain. But there's no heroes, I'm saying. There's nobody who ran to the rescue. I mean, I just can't bring myself to say Deadspin did that.
1: Well, the other thing also, I agree with you. Like, you could have, um, you know, a, a human emotional kind of sympathy for what this particular person was going through with identity issues and, um, in, in a culture where, you know, it was not going to perhaps be well received, but it got evil at the end. Like, there, there has to become a time, as you know you're going deeper and deeper, where you are really hurting somebody. And then, the, the, to me, the moment in which it became evil was when, you know, he brought the girlfriend back to life from the grave, and that just was horrendous. And I, I don't want to spoil this for those that haven't watched it. But at that point, you know what you're doing, no matter what your mental state is, is wrong. Wrong. And oh,
2: look, okay. you can know what you're doing. You can know what you're doing is wrong and still be really, you know, in in any in emotional pain. mental I, state.
1: I understand yeah. that. I yeah, but no, you're right. But, he, that, I mean, but what, that was a step that was completely unnecessary. Yes. A- anyway, yes I, I what did you? One of the things I told you right after I watched it is I feel for Man Tao and what he went through. I mean, his life in many ways his, his professional life for sure was impacted in a very negative way through all of this, and at the same time. While I have sympathy for the situation and, and understand that you know, many people could have been had for a while anyway with this catfishing you know, scam, I told you, I came away with, my God, he can't be the brightest bulb on the bush by a long shot. Like, I mean, they're just, how could you get taken for that long? without seeing this yeah. person's face, that you have su- yeah. supposedly fallen in love with. Not but very bright.
2: Those, those, are the, those are the people who, uh, who use the web, who use these various social media sites to control these kind of people, to uh, victimize these kind of people. Uh, there are people who live their lives based on what they read, you know and what they what they read on on facebook and other social media outlets so yeah i mean i think you'd have to come away that uh, he wasn't he wasn't very smart wasn't very smart about this and really surprisingly did not have anyone he could confide in you know like didn't have somebody like who he could say you know this is going on here. What do I do?
1: Well, he had the one friend, you know, um, whose name escapes me, the guy that he played football with, that was very, at least according to him, was skeptical throughout. But, you know, he sensed that man Titeo had this relationship, was, was falling in love. But he was skeptical. But you're right. Nobody stepped forward to say, dude, what are you doing? What do you mean she won't FaceTime you? What do you mean she won't see you? What do you mean here. now she's, you know, she's uh, she was dead and now she's alive? I mean, long before her dying um, and then coming back from the grave, I think most limited people uh, would have figured out that something ain't right here after a few months and he never and did and again
2: if if you, if you was, have a confidant somebody's going to say okay let show me what's going on here sign on sign on let me see what's going on here okay <laughs> you know i mean that that, that was kind of uh, uh interesting that he really i mean he really didn't have a close friend or close family member uh and i maybe that's part because of expectations because he was He was considered such a football god that there really was no one who could relate to him. But he didn't have a good friend. He may have had friends, and that guy may have been skeptical, but he
1: didn't help him. No, and the parents were skeptical. Certainly um, they were, but they, they didn't necessarily help. And, you know, the one thing that you could say in his defense is he had a cousin that vouched for this woman. You know, so the, there was, uh, you know, uh, didn't know that he was vouching for this particular woman uh, that didn't exist. But anyway, yeah. Um, re- real quickly, and we'll wrap this part of uh, of the show up. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I thought you would like it. Uh, did Liz yeah. wa- did Liz watch it with you? Yeah, she did. She liked
2: it a lot too. Yeah, character. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a documentary that goes beyond football.
1: Yeah, and, so. it, and it was well it told, to, it I to thought. It's a
2: much bigger issues.
1: I thought it was huh? well told considering how complex the whole thing was. Yes. Yes, it was. So what do you say about Deadspin? What do you think their motive was?
2: Well, I mean, their motive was, again, I've always told you this, and I'm thinking even these two yahoos, uh, on Deadspin, the one guy who 's a computer genius, apparently i shouldn 't make fun of him, uh, and I enjoyed the reporter from Deadspin talking. He was pretty kind of funny, yeah, you know he, he, you know, he, he was kind of a jo- but uh, it 's always about the story. I mean, for most reporters i 've ever met, and i 'm speaking about writing reporters who write for a living it 's about the story that 's the agenda. The agenda is getting the story. If you happen to embarrass ESPN in the process, that that's ultimately their goal. but the that really what was motivating them was they had a story that no one else
1: had. exactly the, This idea that they were you know that, that the motivation was to make the make ESPN and the New York Times look horrendous for not fact-checking this story. It, that's not the motivation. The motivation for this guy Tim Burke and you know the other guy Jack, whatever his name was, was to break a story that was this incredible story because all season long, Manti, the, the death of Manti De- Te'o's uh, grandmother and then girlfriend within you know a few hours of each other was an incredible heartbreaking story, and then the rest of the season took on a life of its own because of it. They they didn't. Yes. I, don't, I don't think that they really and truly cared about exposing ESPN well, or the New York it, Times. Was,
2: in a way, that was the purpose of of Deadspin to kind of stick their thumb in the eye of mainstream media. Right. And that, that doesn't appeal to me, but it appealed to a lot of people. Deadspin was very popular, and I think that was basically the motivation of of the entity. But I think those guys said, "Hey, we got a story, a big story that no one else is going to have And again, this is what I say to people who think there's some kind of you know agenda behind all kinds of reporting most of the time I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time it's the story. It's the thrill of having the story right
1: the, 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 I guess part of the controversy with is, at the time in breaking the story was and I know that this is obviously always a consideration, you, you know this more than anybody that there's the, um, the, the amount of time that's considered to be fair to give the subject a chance to respond with the concern of being beaten to the punch by a competitor. Did they give Manti Teo enough time to respond? before they just went with the story?
2: Well, considering the Washington Post called John Mitchell uh, maybe
1: <laughs> a few minutes before right, they were right, about to right go before. to press. Yes, yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, well, I think Katie Graham's gonna
1: get is going to get her tit caught in <laughs> a ringer. In the ringer. In the ringer, I yeah.
2: So, so, look, the last call you always make is to the subject that you're trying to expose. It's always the last call. And you, you really have that concern. Is you don't want to give them enough time to circle the wagons?
1: How many and times have you made? How many times have you made that call?
2: Oh, I don't know, dozens of times. So, of times. so
1: what? What is there any? Is there, is there a memorable story of you getting ready to break a story, a, a really good story, and calling the the main figure in the story right before you're about to let it go for a comment? And I mean, do you have anything that comes to mind?
2: Not particularly. I mean, I was writing when I was at the Baltimore Sun, I was writing a story about a mobster turned informant uh, who was actually both. He was a mobster, a con artist, and an informant. And he was in federal, he was in state, he was in city prison in Baltimore. I mean, he was a low level mob guy. He was, they used to, His nickname was Tony Limo because he was a limo driver for a while for some of these guys. But a lot of these drivers wind up becoming big mob bosses eventually. This guy didn't. Uh, and he, he called me at the Baltimore Sun newsroom from, from, from uh, Baltimore City Jail and basically threatened me uh, if, if, I wrote the, if, if I published the story. Uh, and the story was ready to go. Uh, but that's a different thing.
1: What was the story? Was the story, The story story was about him?
2: Yeah, it was about him. He had, this guy was an unbelievable con man. He had conned a guy who owned an airline out in Cumberland, Maryland.
1: You've told me the story now, and now I remember the story, but go ahead. Go ahead, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and he had done so much more. He had been all across the country conning people out of money. Uh, uh, but, uh, and I, I, I was the one who broke this big story about him. He actually conned the guy. He almost bought Braniff Airlines with nothing. <laughs> That's how good of a con man this guy was. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so, but no, I don't have anything that comes to mind where I had to call somebody at the last minute. Uh, usually they they say, I'll get back to you. Uh, sometimes where they say, I have no comment. You know, and... Uh, get back to you you let them know we're going to press in a couple of
1: hours is there another part to this story like after the story aired uh, what am, what what happened after this the, the story aired with this guy
2: oh nothing no he was all talk
1: okay he was all talk uh, maybe i'm See, thinking about
2: he something was, else. he didn't want to be exposed while he was in jail because he was in gen pop and he was trying to get information
1: gen pop meaning general population yes yeah
2: he was there he was there to basically try to get information to try to use to his advantage you know to rat on somebody right and if i exposed him they'd have to put him in protective custody did they they'd have to take him out of gen pop i don't know
1: you you don't don't know what happened you you don't really know what happened with old tony limo i don't remember
2: I, I don't remember. He eventually died.
1: He did? You know? Yeah. He what eventually was, passed on. What was his actual last name?
2: Anthony Saravola. Google it. He's in a famous Supreme Court case where he, Fulminante versus uh, Saravo or Saravola versus Fulminante, a huge Supreme Court case involving the use of jailhouse informants. He was in jail in Arizona. How do you spell his last name? S A R A S A R I V O L A Anthony Saravola. Okay, I mean, he's all he's all over the law books for this uh, particular fulminante case, where he informed on the guy uh, in, in a murder case, actually, and he always did. The, and here's the thing: while he was doing all this, he was a federal under federal witness protection program. While he's going around the country conning people, uh, left and right, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: he was under the federal witness protection. So he was protected half the time by the feds.
1: Wow. Quite um, the character. I'm but l- that has
2: nothing to do with this.
1: Oh, here, here's your st- here's your story. I just found it. <laughs> Even the trial of federal witness Anthony Saravola bears secrets by Tom Lavero, Baltimore's son, June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one, the day in court. Yeah, grant-
2: that's, that's a that's a fo- that's a follow up to the big story. Oh, right, right. That's, that's a follow up
1: okay. right.
2: yeah.
1: Well, I, I, maybe I can find the big story as well.
2: Well, let's move on.
1: Should we move on? Why are you fearful that something may happen?
2: No, 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 no,
1: <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: Because this is worth this is worth an entire show. So, I mean, if you want to really want to talk about it someday, I'll send you the full story, and we could talk about it. Do
1: you remember which what uh, family he worked for?
2: You know, I think he worked for Sonny Franzese.
1: Michael Franzese, uh, a young, powerful member, you wrote of the Colombo family,
2: who wound up. Michael Franzese is so famous,
1: yes, because right.
2: he basically he went he went clean. He basically went
1: straight. Yes, and, I've seen and he, this. I, and, and now I yes. just Googled his, his, his face. I've seen him on TV. Yes, he's a big-time mob uh,
2: consultant for media and stuff. Right. And, and he speaks, I think he speaks to, to basketball teams and football teams about right. gambling.
1: Exactly.
2: Yes. I, I He was s- the son of a ruthless mob boss named Sonny Francis, who was in jail at the time.
1: I, I think he. Now we know that um, uh, what's his face from Goodfellas, uh, uh, you know, um, Henry Hill. Henry Hill was was a big part of the whole uh, Boston College gambling, um, you know, uh, scheme back, yes. in the, uh, back in the back in the eighties. And I'm for whatever reason, I'm wondering if this guy Franzese was part of that as well. I'm trying to look it up. I think he was. I think he I may think have he been was. as well.
2: Yeah. Now you could have Michael Franzese on your podcast, I think, if you wanted to.
1: (laughs) I think, you know what we should do? We should do a podcast where we do Franzese, and then we do your interview with Jonathan Banks right afterwards, which I listened to, and it was excellent. And Tommy, by the way, Um, gave me a thumbs-up on playing that on the podcast, and I'm going to do that probably next week. It was an excellent interview. For those of you that are fans of Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, he's from here, and it was an excellent conversation. By the way, I could tell, you know, very rarely with you over the years have I – and I'm not talking about the Brooklyn Decker thing, where you were just completely flummoxed with her beauty. I'm talking about very rarely have I ever um, sensed that you were excited about an interview. You were excited about that interview. You were really happy yes. to be talking to Jonathan Banks.
2: Yes, I've been a I've been a big fan since his Wise Guy days. Yeah, you know. And uh, what's interesting about that. Is as we continue to r- drive the bumper car all over the podcast.
1: Here. Yeah. Right, well, whatever. What's
2: interesting <laughs> about that is I started watching Better Call Saul again.
1: Yeah, you, t- yeah you told me that.
2: It, his character, Mike Ermintraut, is so much... There's so much more to him early in the show. I mean, you find out the whole story about how he was a Philly cop right. and how his son... You know, was was killed by these cops because he was going to he's going to say they were corrupt, and then Mike shot these two Philly cops. All that is in the first uh, year of the show, right? And you kind of forget that because I think at the end, the last
1: uh, don't, don't tell me year I haven't I, so, have, I haven't gotten through, I'm no, midway through season I'm, four.
2: I'm, I'm just going to say that he is more of uh I don't know how you would describe it and, and all Almaton, time. Uh, you know, kind of like there's not a lot going on with Mike in the last few last season of the show. And I know you have a limited amount of time to devote to characters, but uh, he had much more going on uh, in the show or in early in, in better call Saul. And he's so good at it.
1: So. He's, he's so good at it. I mean, I, I'll tell you what I just watched was the episode where you know he's at that church you know help group and he calls out that fraud in the middle of of one of the you know one of those sessions and you know his his daughter-in-law um really got upset with him and the new friend, I don't know if she develops into a girlfriend because I have not watched the rest of season four and I still have season five to go. I don't know. He's. Let me just say this, and we'll end the, the bumper car session of the podcast. He was such a nice guy in the interview with you. Like he was not, you know, you and I both know that sometimes when you end up getting somebody like that on, you know it's just th- their intent is just to give you something quickly and then to move on he was genuinely nice and giving and appreciative and I, it was just a very nice conversation especially well thank you but but it's, I I'm complimenting you of course but I'm also you know he he you never know what these people are like in real life and he came off as incredibly likable yes Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, Uh, A regular guy who just happens to be a great actor.
1: And from here. You know, one of the things he mentioned, by the way, he grew up in PG County. His mother was a teacher at Northwood in Montgomery County, which is why he ended up going to that school. But he grew up in Chillum, in Chillum Heights, which I think is, you know, uh, that's kind of PG County near College Park. You know, uh, Greenbelt, etc. It's that area, right? Is where Chillum is. Pretty sure. So he grew up in PG County. His mother worked for the CIA. Yes. And um, and then, but I'm I'm sorry, she worked for the CIA, but she did something with Northwood High School. Now I'm forgetting what it was. Was it his? How he got to he went to Northwood because his mother or because he grew up in a one parent household, just with his mother. And now I'm forgetting why he went to Northwood because his mother worked for the CIA, but he said something about his mother doing something with Northwood High School, or maybe it was his.
0: Well, this
2: is why. people that, that, will have to listen to your show yes. when you air the podcast.
1: Yeah, um, it was a very nice interview. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that as part of the podcast next week. Okay, um, let's get off the bumper cars and let's go to the haunted house. Uh, let's let's take another ride. Um, I want to talk about Ted Leonsis and the interest that he has in purchasing the Nationals and another team that's quasi-local. We'll get to that. And Andrew Norwell, the starting guard for the Washington Commanders, had one of the more interesting press conferences following a practice that I've ever heard. Uh, We'll get to that and a few more things when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Doc Walker is coming up in the next segment. Uh, We'll do, Tommy and I, one more segment here together. And I wanted to start with this because, you know, we've, we've talked about before these daily press conferences after practices, especially during training camp. What the Washington Commanders Public Relations Group does is they, Ron Rivera speaks, and then they usually provide two players. And then I think there's a weekly commitment for Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio. Um, there is when the regular season starts. Yesterday one of the players that they provided was Andrew Norwell, the uh guard who Washington signed during the offseason. That you know, the guards on this team are gonna be brand new. They Did not, you know, uh, uh, choose to extend Brandon Sheriff or franchise him again. And they will see Brandon Sheriff, by the way, in the opener. He's a Jacksonville Jaguar. Um, And they got rid of Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers they let go as well. So Norwell, who was, you know, a Panther and was a big signing by the Panthers, is here in D.C. I'm going to play his press conference yesterday, which the total amount of time is probably the shortest you will ever see It was 2 minutes and 39 seconds. We're going to pick it up with the second question, and the question you'll hear is about Brandon Sheriff and him replacing Brandon Sheriff. And then you'll hear the rest of the two minutes, and then I want Tommy uh, to respond to this, as will I. Here's what it sounded like yesterday with Andrew Norwell.
2: When you're joining a new team, and obviously Brandon Sheriff, you you kind of flipping places, how much do you feel, I don't know an obligation, but a pressure to kind of do what he did here for this team, given kind of what you guys have done both in your careers? Um, next question. How good as an offensive line can you guys be? I mean, obviously it's new pieces and all that, but, like, what can you guys do as a group? Um, just come together as a unit and uh, work hard every day. And, um, yeah, that's about it. What's your opinion of Carson Wentz? So, What have you learned about Carson as kind of a a quarterback and really as as a leader more than anything else? Yeah, um, he goes to work
3: every day. He's the same guy and uh, displays a lot of leadership out there.
0: I'm sure they may have already asked you, but when when you've had to miss time with a new, not so much a new system maybe, but a new group of guys, what's the adjustment period for you when you come back?
3: Uh, what was your question again? When you're
0: coming Back after missing a little bit
1: of time and you know just during camp, what's the adjustment period for you like when you come back? Considering it's a new group of guys.
3: Uh, just you know just do my uh, just do my job. You know just focus on myself and do my job.
1: And when when you're watching, I know you're not watching Brian Robinson during a game. You're you know, but when you're, I guess when you're watching film of him, what
0: stands out to, about him as a running back to you?
2: Um, you know he's.
3: You know, he hits the holes when they're open, and, uh, you know, he comes to
2: work every day. Well, what's it been like uh, blocking for a guy like Brian Robinson, a young running back? Uh, It's been great, you know. uh, They got a great group of guys in that room, and, uh, you know, I look forward to blocking for every one of them. What's some of the the things about Brian Robinson's, like, running style specifically that, like, have stuck out to you? Uh, You know what? I'm just here to talk about myself, so. Very nice. Thanks. How has the adjustment been for you to, to a new team and, and all that? Uh, it's been great. You know, it's just, it's my job to do it and um,
1: just come to work every day and be the same guy.
2: Anything else? Okay, you're
1: good. All right. Thanks. I mean, Tommy, have you ever heard a shorter <laughs> press conference? I mean, we've had a lot of interviews, live interviews on radio that we, we had to get out of quickly. Because the 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 person we were interviewing wasn't much for you know lengthy answers or not really into it, um, but that was kind of funny, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, this was it was kind of reminiscent of some of our Pierre Garçon segments <laughs> that we used to pay him for. Yeah, well,
1: that was after we he made a headline. Paid him
2: money for. Yeah, after he actually said something and got in trouble for it, this was pretty much a Pierre Garçon interview after that
1: god that was painfully each uh, week. yes
2: yeah but uh i mean you know i i love i love the answer about uh brian robinson i mean somebody was obviously there's one two three brian robinson stories in a row so some poor guy in that media tent is doing a, a story about brian robinson <laughs> and looking for anything he can get and he wasn't getting it from andrew norwell who said you know what I'm just here to talk about myself.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. and, and he, But he wasn't there to talk about himself. He didn't want to talk about himself.
1: He didn't want to talk about anything. Um, no. I think it's one of those things where you have to watch it, too, because... I, I, I don't know anything about Andrew Norwell. I don't know if he was has given great interviews before, but maybe that second question about Brandon Sheriff may have pissed him off when he said next question. Like, you know, like it was a gotcha question, which, of course, it wasn't. Um, but uh, I think if you watch it, like there was something likable about him in watching him come up with the shortest Possible answer to end this as quickly as he could. Um, By the way, I don't care about this stuff. Like, I'm not being critical of him at all. I want to make sure people are clear on this. There are people that are totally uncomfortable doing this. And I don't know if, if he was uncomfortable or if this was his intent. And maybe the Brandon Sheriff thing, you know, where he said, next question. You know, like if he feels pressure to live up to to Brandon Sheriff's you know tenure here in Washington. Next question, um, maybe that set him off. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a, a much longer interview with Norwell, and maybe I should have gone back and heard the interview because I'm I'm sure he was interviewed after he was signed here as a free agent. But you know, they're just you're not going to have you know 90 players or 80 players now on a roster, and soon to be 53. Most of them, what what I have found over the years, don't make for compelling interviews. Most of them, like a, a, the ma- significant majority, and when you find the players that really are good talkers and are engaging, you know, those are the ones that are worth putting on the air. I don't know should the PR people have known that this was not going to be a, a, a very a good hit with Norwell or not.
2: I don't know. I think it may, may have just been his turn, you know? <laughs> yeah. It just may have been his turn in the box.
1: He certainly didn't make any headlines, that's for sure. Um, no, and, and and you know what? This will probably be
2: the only interview he does all year.
1: I hope he's a good player. You know, he signed that big deal a few years ago in Carolina. It was the largest deal ever signed for a guard at the time. Um, and then he, has, he wasn't very good last year, which is why he was available for basically a song. And they need him to be good. Um, the one thing, though, is he's back with the guy that coached him in John Matsko. Um, and so, uh, you know, you'll hear Doc talk about Matsko in the next segment. Um, he's really a, a highly respected position coach in this organization. And maybe Norwell, you know, who's only 30 years old. I mean, he's got a couple of years left. Um, but you know Washington got him for, you know basically what they paid Eric Flowers last year, La- half of what they p- paid Eric Flowers I think uh, last year. So anyway, uh, I know. Okay, you- here's what yeah. when,
2: when when he got hired, he had mu- when he got signed, he had much more to say.
1: He okay. did. He did. He
2: said, "quote I'm fired up to be a commander. I'm just looking forward to being to to this opportunity." Uh, it's really, uh, and the, his familiarity. He was asked about being familiar with Rivera and Matzko, were key components in signing with the commanders. Norwell said, "It's really big. Being familiar with the coaching, being able to go in day one and start those relationships again, build them even stronger, and contribute to this team. I'm just fired up and looking forward to it."
1: Well, that's. Well, well, somebody then... should
2: have asked him more about his his, off, his his offense, his position coach.
1: Yeah. That would have gotten him going. Yeah, I, ma- well, I mean, in knowing that now, maybe it was that Sheriff question that just really upset him.
2: Yeah, here's another qu- answer. Somebody asked him about Rivera. Uh, the way the coach treats his players, he's very, very consistent. He gives everybody an opportunity. He gave me an opportunity when I was a rookie, and I'm very fortunate that I made the most of that opportunity. I'm excited to be back. So, uh, so I mean, it could have been that question.
1: It could have been. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know... God, we we had kind of this conversation about Scott Abraham asking Carson Wentz, you know, uh, a question about whether or not this is going to be his last opportunity to be a starter in the NFL. But the way he introed it, you and I both agreed it wouldn't have been the way that we introed it. And thinking about, you know, feeling pressure about living up to, you know, Brandon Sheriff's tenure in Washington – You know, Norwell there for a brief moment in time when he signed, you know, what was the biggest deal in the history of the league for a guard um, back in 20, uh, I think it was 2014, uh, 2017, something like that. Whatever it was, he signed a massive deal, you know, in the moment. Maybe he just felt, maybe he feels like he's at the level of Brandon Sheriff. What do you mean? You're getting Andrew Norwell. And and he didn't want to answer it that way because it would have seemed you know self promotional. So he just said next question, and maybe that did set him off. Okay, well that's good to know. Um, maybe maybe the next interview will be better. Uh, 20... I
2: think you need to have him on your show.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for it. And the first question I'm gonna okay. ask is was Brandon Sheriff overrated? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so what did you want to say about the? We talked briefly the other day about, you know, Monumental Sports um, and taking over NBC Sports Washington. And now it's been reported that Ted uh, and Monumental Sports, along with David Rubenstein um, from the Carlisle Group, um, are basically putting a bid together to buy the Washington Nationals. But a part of the story says that the two of them have also told key backers of the Baltimore Orioles that they would consider buying that team if it comes up for sale as well. So your reaction to this is what?
2: Well, what's interesting is Ted has connections with both teams. I mean, he's a partner already with Mark Lerner. Mark Lerner uh, owns a piece of Monumental Sports. He's a minority partner in that organization. So they're already partners, and there's the – there, there is a guy behind the scenes uh, who is both a confidant of uh, Ted Leonsis and Peter Angelos. So let me just double check something here, uh, and uh, I mean, it has been in the past at least, and that's George Stamus. Right. Okay. Uh, very, very behind the scenes power broker in this town and in baltimore as well uh he's been an angelo's confidant and he's been a ted confidant and a all i mean the three of them have this let's face it this greek connection of course okay yeah you know so it doesn't surprise me that ted would be in 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 touch with the people who own the orioles say angelo's family whatever and it doesn't surprise me that he would let them know. Uh, that, you know, if the Orioles happen to become for sale, he'd be interested in them. And this is going to be the interesting thing, because they could wind up being on the market at the same time. The Orioles are not going to be for sale until Peter Angelos passes away. Well, the
1: Nationals are for sale right now.
2: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And uh, despite all the reports that this is going to happen quick, I tend not to believe that. Uh, But... uh, so I mean, and the other thing I didn't know about, because I don't know David Rubenstein from Adam, uh, is he's a Baltimore guy, apparently. So uh, so the interest in the Orioles uh, is certainly understandable, um, and uh, I, that was the Sportico piece of information that wasn't in, I don't believe, any place else. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh and it it's gonna be interesting to watch how both teams' futures unfold.
1: David Rubenstein, just as a quick aside, is an excellent interviewer. Excellent interviewer. Uh on that peer to peer show, um, which I've watched a few times. Uh interesting. I you know, he is worth billions as well. Yes. Um, so you know, there there's they certainly have the, the ability to do this. Who which team is more attractive as a purchase? The Orioles or the Nationals?
2: I think the Nationals are. I think they're worth more.
1: Yeah. Because of the market because the of Washington, the market size.
2: Yeah. The market size and I think the Capitol Hill proximity uh gives it a little bit of push. Uh I really think it does. I mean if you use it right, if you're a smart owner, it should help you. You know? So- uh and uh, both teams have very secure stadium deals uh, in place. Uh, I think the Orioles are about to secure their their new lease if they haven't already. Uh, and, uh, and the Nationals, I, I think, have another eighteen or seventeen years to go on their lease. So their stadium deals are, are pretty secure. Uh, and you know, the I mean, people who have, who think that. The Orioles are going to move to Nashville because John Angelos lives in Nashville. That's absurd. They're not moving the Orioles. Okay? That Camden Yards is considered one of the prized ballparks still in all baseball. The park that changed baseball. They're not going to move a major league team out of there for a lot of reasons.
1: The... um... Chelsea Janes wrote about it a few weeks ago, and there's, uh, you know, a story from yesterday um, from uh, Barry and Chelsea and uh, Ben Strauss in the Post about some of the other potential bidders um, for the team. Let's not forget, too, what we talked about the other day, which is, you know, uh, the, the, the Leonsis-Rubinstein bid would now also include a built-in network, um, to to uh, that they own in NBC Sports Washington, but well, um, you,
2: you would have to clear up the Masson thing first. Right. They have a network right now. I know. Okay, that's a complication.
1: Is it a complication, or or is there is there an out? I mean, I don't. What? what how long are they locked into Masson for?
2: It's a complication.
1: Okay, uh, five bidders, and I don't
2: people. see how you can sell the, I don't see how you can sell the Nationals without that complication
1: being fixed. Five other bidders have met with Nationals officials um, according to this post report billionaire Michael B. Kim. he's got a private equity firm that more manages more than 25 billion in assets. He met with the team this uh, uh, earlier this summer mortgage mogul Stanley middleman um, and uh, are, are there two other names that are mentioned here among f- five potential, bidders. No, they're
2: not. That's it. That's the only ones they mentioned. They didn't mention the other ones.
1: No, I just said. uh, It's five potential, but these are the ones that they mentioned in the the report. Metalman and and Michael B. Kim, and then, of course, Leonsis and Rubenstein. So three of the five. I don't know who the other two are.
2: Now, front office sports had reported what I've been saying all along, that Larry Latino is one of the uh, interested parties in, in this team. Uh, and, you know, I, I have no, I could be wrong. I'm not saying this is a done deal or this is the way it's going to happen. But I'd be surprised if Laquino doesn't wind up as the owner of the Washington Nationals.
1: Okay, uh, a couple of things just to wrap it up with Tommy on, and then we'll get to Doc. Uh, Number one is big headline in the NFL this morning. Tyron Smith, uh, the outstanding left tackle for the Cowboys, may be done for the significant part of the upcoming season with a torn hamstring. Uh, That's big news in the NFC East. Remember, the Cowboys did draft Tyler Smith from Tulsa in the first round to eventually become uh, the left tackle uh, replacement for Tyron Smith. Um, They've used him, by the way, during camp at left guard. So we'll see what happens. But that's a big loss uh, in the NFC East um, with the Cowboys. Uh, Secondly, Chet Holmgren, who was the number two selection in the NBA draft in June, uh, he has a Lisfranc injury Uh, that he suffered the other day to his right foot. He's going to miss the entirety of the upcoming season. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention, and Tommy, this is for you to respond to as well if you want to, is I just wanted to say that Kevin Willard, the head coach at Maryland, the new head coach at Maryland, is killing it from a recruiting standpoint. Maryland got a big commitment last night from Deshaun Harris-Smith. Deshaun Harris-Smith plays for PVI, that's Paul VI in Northern Virginia, part of the WCAC, the best high school basketball conference in the country. He's the number 39 player in America per 247sports.com. This follows Maryland's signing of Jamie Kaiser a few weeks ago. Uh, a top 50-ish player in the country, but rising rapidly. Kaiser also played in the WCAC at bishop Ireton, but is going to play his senior year at IMG Academy in Florida. Um, That followed Maryland signing Jonathan Lamothe, a player out of Baltimore. Maryland's class for 2023 right now is a top 10 class, and he's not done yet. Willard isn't done yet. There's still another player or two that they could land that could give Maryland one of its highest recruiting, highest ranked recruiting classes in school history. The last time they had a top 10 class, which is what they have right now, was 2018 when Turgeon recruited Jalen Stick Smith out of Baltimore. Aaron Wiggins was in that class, Eric Ayala. That was the last top 10 class. Um, Turgeon had some, you know, consistent top 20, top 25-ish, top 30-ish classes. Um, But this is huge for Maryland basketball fans. Uh, And it's huge because the three players recruited so far are all local players. And that follows the big transfer they got um, during the transfer portal portion of this offseason for the upcoming year, Jameer Young. The guy who played at Charlotte last year who has a chance to be, well, will will be more likely than not, Maryland's uh, starting point guard and will be one of their leading scorers probably along with Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart. Um, the Terps aren't supposed to be great in Willard's first year. They're, they've been predicted anywhere from, you know, I've seen as high as 6th in the Big Ten to 10th in the Big Ten. But right now their 2023 recruiting class, Willard's first full-fledged class Um, is a top 10 class already, ranked eighth right now by 247sports.com and could go higher. Um, So that's big news. Uh, I mentioned Jameer Young, by the way, because he went to DeMatha before signing with Charlotte and now transferring to Maryland uh, for his uh, senior year. So uh, Maryland basketball fans, be excited about what's going on right now here early in the Kevin Willard uh, tenure from a recruiting standpoint. Big news uh, last night. Um, with the signing of Deshaun Harris-Smith. Uh, did you have any questions about this, Tommy, or, in, or any thoughts?
2: No, I have no questions about that, except that it all sounds familiar. That's the only thing I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? Recru- okay. Recruiting and,
2: sounds familiar.
1: and keeping the best players at home? Top 10 no, class? It
2: sound like I, heard, I heard the same things about Turgeon. So uh, it just sounds familiar, that's all.
1: Well, but Turgeon only had one top 10 recruiting class. In his tenure there. Okay. Willard's first class is going to be a top ten class with all local kids. Okay. All right. Let's have a party. Doc Walker up next, right after these uh, words. Let me just say,
2: what? let me just say something. What? It's an honor to be able to open the hole that Doc Walker can run through.
1: You know what? Great block, number sixty six. Good job. We got to get you to the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, Doc next, right <laughs> after these words from a few of our sponsors. All right, this segment of the podcast is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Very few Shops are doing that. They're doubling your first deposit. You deposit a thousand bucks, you'll have two thousand in your account to gamble with. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Fair lines, fair pricing. You get paid when you win. Uh, Washington, right now, a three-point favorite in the opener against Jacksonville on September 11th. Uh, my guest, uh, my good friend Richard Doc Walker, joins us right now and. Even though you've been doing these preseason games and you've been at every practice, you've got your eyes on September 11th, Jacksonville when it counts. And that's always kind of your mindset. Uh, good morning, by the way. And I heard you were killing me on my own radio show this morning.
3: No, I was promoting the fact that you take more vacation time <laughs> oh, than Johnny Carson, and I'm like going, oh, and no, it really is. And you and Neil, and you've got your attorney with you, and you guys are just baiting people into litigation. And I think it's smooth. I love it. But you know, we, as your listeners, we're diehard. Mm-hmm. We just have to wait until you come back. And I asked them if you were in or, in or out of the country. And, you know, just were you on a boat? Were you stationary? Hey, man, I'm not hating. I'm I'm
1: proud of you. You know, it's just, it's such bullshit when you say that. And this is like an every summer thing when I take a few days off you do the same thing to me every year. It's it's basically been going on for I don't like it, 10, 15 years. I don't want to
3: be – I depend on you I,
1: every day. And I would watch you at the end of the year. We'd get to late December, and you'd, be, you'd say, I've, st- I've got three days left. I got, I'm going to use them all. I would never. I, I never I, used I, all my vacation days,
3: ever. I never cheat the people. I never <laughs>
1: cheat the people. Yeah, right. Um, and
3: so you, you – so, no, the okay. no, management – is the only reason I'm not on every
1: day. Uh, by the way, Doc, uh, as everybody knows, has a podcast with Solly, which you can get at patreon.com slash Doc Walker. Doc is doing radio for the next – I don't know what your radio schedule is. Maybe you've got a couple of days off, um, but he has been filling in <laughs> for Craig Hoffman on 980, uh, the station that, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, Doc built uh, from scratch. Um, so I'm excited yeah. about that. And I listened a little bit yesterday and it was great uh, as always. Um, but seriously, September 11th, this is always, I know you get really excited and you're putting out all the videos on all the young pups and, and then, and the guys that are trying to make those last few roster spots, but you're always dialed in on the games that count and the opener.
3: Yeah, but I'm also dialed in. There's an opportunity to snap a streak. The Ravens have a 22 game three season game streak. I, I, and don't you think that that's to me I, I, that's like the pinata. I got to take a swing at it. It wouldn't be me if I didn't want to take a swing at that. And so after the game, the gun goes off at mT. Then, my friend, I'm with you hundred percent I'm totally focused on the on Jacksonville. but for right now. Um, it's just unnatural for me not to want to go out, and especially with the possibilities of a Ravens rivalry, yeah, count me in.
1: Yeah, but you don't think that Ron Rivera is thinking that way, right? It's not important for no. him to end the no, Ravens' no, no. preseason winning streak.
3: No. Well, I think it is, but I just don't think he can admit it. Really? on down inside. Oh, yeah, I think he'd love it, but he can't admit it. See, it's like, it's like um, Ron's a big picture guy. I'm not. You know, he's thinking about the future and protecting it. I'm not. I mean, I, I, and that's why he's the head coach, and I'm not. But I do have the right to go into this and think that, like, when the Orioles and the Nats play, it's on. I mean, to me, it's like if we don't have rival- some way of rivalry or getting ourselves. Into something to be competitive. See, you always have an interest in it because you're the house. But for the rest of us,
1: it's like, it's like what else are we going to do? I'm not the house. Yeah, I'm yeah. on the wrong no, you, side. You I'm, I'm, I'm no, on the opposite yeah, well, side of the house. Well, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't but, buy that for uh, a moment. Uh, uh, tr- but anyway, uh, yeah, trust I am me, telling I'm you, not the
3: house. Okay, well, I'm into this game uh-huh. Saturday. Uh-huh. And, um, I just want to find out what we made of.
1: Why do you do this? You know, I I love you dearly, but this game is a preseason game. You and I, you because you played in it, uh, me because I was a fan of it, we know what real rivalries look and feel like. Walking into Robert F. Kennedy Stadium – for don't a Monday it. night game against the Cowboys. Don't drag me back into that's, that. I mean, don't do that's that. That's a Give rivalry. That. Walking into I Cole know. or Xfinity for a game against Duke, that's oh, a rivalry. Uh, You're right. My favorite, though, was when you and I, because I, I'm pretty sure we did this game together, you and I went to that Game 7 between the Caps and the Penguins.
0: Um, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> one of the those. one that we love. One of Ovechkin's first big games, and you and I walked into the suite, which we had, which was the company suite. I don't know. It was probably Doc's suite. And um, it it was four to nothing in the first five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Pittsburgh. And the place was so lit. It was lit, and then all of a sudden, it was basically dead. It was over in like ten minutes. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, we
3: there was a game, a game that we lost to the Flyers. And uh and the beauty about hockey. And I know you and I care about it, but it's that when you lose sudden and when the puck hits the net and it's over. Yeah. It's so yeah. sudden. You're so it sudden. goes from you it's it's just amazing. I sat in that arena for like 45 minutes, I could not move. But again, the fact that they at least put us in that position
1: no, it I just know that don't
3: suck. No, but yeah, just don't. We not even been in contention yeah. here right. in a mighty long while. Yeah, we had the, okay. the, the the playoff deal. They went down and 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 it uh, got to play Tampa and have convinced themselves that they were in the game, which is a joke. That a team has 500 yards a total offense against you. you, act like you were in it and could have won it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, romance,
3: have, romance yourself any way you want to. That's so all I'm funny. saying is that there's not a lot of our fan base that can remember the last time we were really good. and all. But I do. I have a really good memory. And all I'm saying is that this is all I get now. I got one shot. It's Saturday. And I know it matters to Harbaugh. It matters to them. I watched their game against Arizona. So the final seconds, Because I was thinking, well, maybe Arizona can pull this off because they came back. And I know it's important. What
1: game are you you talking about? What are are you talking about?
3: Ravens, Ravens, and uh, Cardinals. Okay,
1: God. Preseason game. Preseason game, Yeah. See, again, I've got, I got you, you. You don't take it seriously. <laughs> I think it's. See, want to my back, life. This is what I do. I want uh, to go back to what know. you said about ta- the Tampa playoff game. It is so funny how there has been an incredible revisionist history about this game, as if Washington. Like somehow had Tampa on the ropes, and and Tampa, yeah. if they Tampa barely got through Washington, and then went on to win the Super Bowl, and yeah. Washington was right there. They gave up yeah. five hundred yeah. and seven yards, and and in that game, Chris Godwin, remember, dropped about six balls right in his yeah. hands. Um. Yeah. All right let's let's talk let's let's talk some X's and O's. Burgundy and gold. I love doing that as we did it for 14 years together on the pregame show. I, I, we'll I'm, do
3: it again. Just hang in there. We'll do it again. Okay. I want to we'll do um, it again.
1: I want to ask Let's you do our something. Own thing. You, you know, you have been out there every single day. Um, you're calling the yeah. preseason games, and Doc will be on the call with Kenny Albert again on Saturday night. ABC yeah. Sports Washington. Uh, after, by the way, being banished from. Uh, the place for a year and a half or whatever it was, year and a uh, half. disgustingly. Yeah. Um, Solitary confinement. Uh, so, my question to you is, now that you've seen this operation up close, are they well coached or not?
3: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. What they are not geared towards and that is winning the game. Because they are taking an approach like you are, that their target is Jacksonville. And so we won't know until Jacksonville whether or not it works. Can't blame a guy. They made it very clear. They don't care about none of this. All they're doing is trying to get through it. I don't understand how a team, a non-playoff team, can develop itself with the attitude that they have, but that's their prerogative to do it. I'm more in line to think of like, Detroit is who they are, and they're trying to change that narrative. So you got to push the envelope.
1: Have you been watching Hard Knocks?
3: Oh, my God, yeah, because i got to see some real football. (laughs) I haven't seen anybody tackle anybody where I'm
1: at. Actually, I've watched an episode and a half. It's kind of entertaining. Campbell's entertaining. He's a big dude. I, I had no idea he was that big.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's beyond entertainment. It's the seriousness in which you got to teach people. They have to fight, and it's physical, and you tackle, and you, and it's all out. Now, there's always a risk in that. But how else do you prepare? How can a fighter pilot train if he didn't go up there and go for it? NASCAR, they burn rubber. That means they do it at the highest level, preparing for it. But the NFL, not just this team, but a lot of them have this philosophy that. They're almost like they're f- f- scared to death that everybody's going to die at practice. Right. And they're not going to have a team. So we just got to wait it out. But sooner or later, somebody's going to have to judge the results of their approach. And if it's good enough for the people that's paying them, then it's good enough for me. Because there's nothing I can do about it. I
1: know, but what I... You w-
3: held hostage with this.
1: What I really want to get to is, you know, okay. you have... You, you, you know what good coaching is. You know what good tempo yeah. at a practice is. You know what good, have, orga- what, what, what gore- good organization looks yeah. like. You know what you know discipline looks like. And this is your yep. first chance this summer to see it up close and personal. Do you feel better about it now than you did maybe yes. last year?
3: Absolutely, because now I can see it. Okay. If they would simply have engaged with another team in a joint practice or a scrimmage, they would have checked every one of my boxes. Okay. Every one of them, But they don't do it. Who are the if ba- they wanted to do it, they would have done it.
1: Who are the best position coaches on the team?
3: Oh, man. O-line. I, I think Mask. When I when I watch him work with his people, it's so Joe Bugle. Back in my mind, Jim Hannafin. I mean, I got a chance to see some world-class offensive line coaches. And they have the hardest job on the team because they have the most players that they have to deal with. And they're protecting the king or the queen, whichever one you want to call it. So it's very important. You know, D-line is important, but if they don't get the quarterback, you just don't win the game. The world's not over. Offensive line breaks down. They murder your quarterback. You're done. So the level to me of seriousness, and that's why I was blown away. Once all the injuries came out last week, and yet they put together a group, and that's not why they lost the game. They lost the game because they, or their third down, offense and defense, is not good enough to compete. But them damn guys they put in there, even if you didn't know their name, they were militaristic in terms of competing, assignments. They, you didn't see any free runners. It didn't, they didn't jump off sides. You know what I mean? And that's how you judge a group in terms of a staff. Now, whether we press man or we run games up front defensively, that's a question for you and them, their coaching staff. All I know is that when it comes to results, it's not acceptable. Third down is just not acceptable. So they got to figure that out. That's their job. It ain't my job. My job is to I report it when I see it. But you can't, and the right there, oh, you were giving Pat Mahomes. Yeah. You need to see what the best looks like. Yeah, right. Because going against our backups in practice, you've been patting yourself way too much on the back. Then The moment I put you against somebody else, you fall apart. That's not what I want to see. I want to see us compete, and they were competitive, <clears throat> but close. You want to applaud them for being close? They almost sacked them. Knock yourself out. But then you'll be crying against Jacksonville when you get your ass kicked in the opener. And then we, every year, same old crap. And you so I'm saying that if they come and blow Jacksonville out and win, I'll never say another word about it. They were right. But if they don't, if they don't, <laughs> and, buddy – yeah. Hey, you ain't gonna like me. I,
1: I want to get to what you think they should do on Saturday night in a little bit, but I okay. want to stick with the uh, okay. the the coaching staff here for a moment. Other than, I mean, Del uh-huh. Rio's already been a head coach. Scott Turner, who knows he's got the name, obviously, and he's going to have an opportunity yeah. to produce, you know, a decent offense this year. He got uh, some uh,
3: weapons now, brother. He got some weapons now. I,
1: he does. Of the rest he's of the coach, weapons. of the rest of the coaches. Who's the guy that you think will be a head coach one day? Do they have one of those people like they did with Shanahan? They had four future head coaches on the staff. I mean, hell, the the interns were probably capable at some point of being a head coach. Who who on yeah. who's a, a, a potential head coach that's on their staff right now? Who's blown you away? Matsko's older, so he's probably not gonna get a chance, I would guess, to be a head coach. But is there a guy there that you think could be a head coach one day that really impresses you?
3: Chris Harris, Chris Harris, the defensive back coach. Yeah, he won't be here next year. He'll be, a, in my
1: opinion, he'll be a D coordinator. He'll
3: so. be something. He'll be gone. Yeah, he's gone. I can see that. He his communication. He gets his points across. He is so active in teaching, and I like Frank Gans, the best coach I ever had, yep. <clears throat> And Chris reminds me because he coaches every play, every player in his sight all day. I've never seen him not do it. He is the most enthusiastic guy, but not a cheerleader, but a teacher and a trainer. You know, a lot of yellers, screamers, they don't know what they're talking about. That's clear. They just blow hearts. This guy is an instructor that has a lot of passion for what he's doing. And I look at the results, how active now. (laughs) Excuse me. I don't have the results and game to show that. Because on third down, they get torched. But in terms of what I see in practice in his unit, I take him tomorrow. I mean, this guy is just really special. And then we'll see. But, you know, you can't really give a teacher – well, you know what it's like. You've been had instructors and a guy like you, high IQ, you sit in there, but stop it. You were back there, you know, thinking about games and things while she was teaching and that doesn't mean she didn't do a great job. You just had your mind in another
1: direction. <laughs> that's true. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying. I like him a lot. He'll be gone. He'll be gone. But Okay. What does that mean to the final score? I have no I can't tell uh, uh,
1: you. Let's let's uh let's talk um okay some ball here give me okay. a player or two that you are really excited about i mean for the upcoming season
3: well they're probably not good it's not going to sound good again because they might not even get the chance to play because i'm focused on who's going to try to make the team to help them get better and the obvious is brown is deami um De'Ami. I, I just
1: well, De, deami brown
3: yeah. Yeah, when I look at... Number two. We've blown we've blown uh-huh. a lot of our second-round picks. They've just been awful. They're not even in the league.
1: He was a third-round pick.
3: I, yeah, but, but, but what I'm saying is that... Right. When I look at a guy who... He was a high pick who has not really flashed yet. So I'm going now. He's got his quarterback here with him. And I haven't seen what I'm looking for for him. That's not answering your question, but a guy who has got to produce. If he does, it makes him a jackpot. Dotson's a, a home run. He's the best player I've seen in practice. Okay? That answers your question. The guy that will determine if this group is special or not is De'Ami Brown, because right now I can't answer that. On Dotson, the best player I've seen in person at that training camp is Dotson. But the guy that will determine their success, he might even make the team based on what injuries come up. Because if you're going to – do you trust him? I don't know how you can. i take Cam Sims. Yeah, I can trust him. And I'm going to get special teams work out of him. Jamie I mean Brown right now is that he's that guy that i got to know more about. He's, to me, he's a difference maker, but he may not even make it because I don't know if I could trust him. Based on what I've seen by, by Dotson and Samuel, who I hadn't seen, I, I mean, he told me about him, but I don't count you unless you play. He's special. Now I see it. I go, wow. He was worth waiting for. Now can they get the ball in his hands? But he is definitely legit. Make no doubt about it. See, so this is the things I couldn't see when I didn't see practice. You know, really, he never played, so I didn't really know. I like 15. Dax Mill, I like him a lot. All he does is produce. He just, he's got to be on my team. He has got to be on a team that I'm involved in. He's got to be on it. So, you know, I don't know if Jonathan Williams, who I adore, yeah. I don't know if he'll make it, but he'd make my team. Because there's just nothing about him I don't like. He does everything. And I can count on him. It's just like Keith Ishmael. Keith Ishmael has developed to the point where I trust him now. This dude's athletic. I mean, he gives you great effort, and he plays with – I, I like him a lot. I got to find out if he if he makes it. But because of their injuries, and we've got a pacifier, and so many people waiting on it, they may take the people that haven't flashed yet over the people that have done the work. Like, I've never seen Trey Turner play here. I've seen him on the other field. They bring him along, they tell me, well, he's a former, and once again, he's a former Panther, and he's a great, all former, all, all that. All I know is he's available. My guy is not even on the team. Flowers. And that, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. You know, so again, I, I can't, I can only, you try to get me to.
1: No, 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 think, you, I can't, you not think like well, that. No, 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 you answered the question, you got around to it. Okay. You said Dotson. And then you yeah. said Samuel. I mean, you, you focused in on yeah. two you know extraordinary ta- extraordinarily talented playmakers. And what yeah. I would ask you is, what does Terry McLaurin look like next to a healthy Curtis Samuel and everything you've said about Dotson? Is he still their best receiver? Or do you think that Dotson or Samuel could end up becoming really their star playmaker and the, and the go-to guy? For Wentz,
3: I don't. I, I think that Terry is like Art Monk. Gary Clark flashes more, right? But Art Monk never fails. He just makes it, and that's Terry. Terry just—he's as good as you need him to be every day. See the other guys? I, I don't know. I don't know Dotson only because of his age. Samuel, I don't know. I don't see him. He's up and down, in and out. I don't know, but I do know this about seventeen, like James Arthur Monk, always there. Count on him. You can trust him. He's like a secure. I mean, you're you're a guy with a lot of assets, financial assets. He's <laughs> one of those yeah, that right. um you can trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he yeah, and he's not as flashy. And I know I kept thinking, how in the heck should he go in the third round? But then again, now that I understand the inner works of the NFL, nothing surprises me anymore because there's just not that many qualified people. They got so many friends and relatives and family friends and people in positions that don't know what the hell they're doing that I see why there's so many misses now. But Terry McLaurin, he's one of the best football players. Like Art Monk, Art plays teams, this guy can play teams. He could do anything. Really, really special. But your boy from Penn State, I'll tell you what, I don't think I've seen him drop a pass right. the entire camp. Easy, yeah, You were right, as always.
1: No, um, no, 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 really, no, no, no. Really, no, no, no. No, no, yeah. no. I, I was dead wrong about the other guy that sounded like the same last name. Dachshund. Well, no, but
3: that was your wrong. that was Your son, well, your son I, well, gave you that I, information. I
1: had a son at TCU when Doxon was there, and I had a son at Penn State. Yeah. In graduation last May, Ryan walked right in front. Of Jahan Dotson, it was funny. Actually, it happened just the way. Are you they, serious? They, yeah, right across the st- stage. You know, they they announced Ryan. He got yeah. his diploma. He starts walking, right. and up next, you start hearing people cheering. And I'm like, oh, they're cheering for my son. No, they weren't. And I knew that, but I didn't realize. Yeah. Here came Jahan Dotson right next, uh, right yeah. after him. Nice
3: um, kid, too. You know what? Yeah. two demeanors. Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson. Yeah, and Jahan Dotson and Terry just great young men their parents should be really proud you know we've had a a ton of jackasses that they've drafted here and these guys are really good people and that's why i'm encouraged to give them the benefit of the doubt because you win with quality people yeah you know because the fool will let you down these guys are really high quality people who happen to also be really good football players
1: yeah, they've they've steered clear of the Darius Geises and Sua Cravens, you know, in the second yeah, round. They, they, right. they have tr- exactly. focused on, on higher quality people and character and the whole thing. That, that's been Ron's, exactly. you know, culture focus to try to get yeah. better, you know, uh, more interested people uh, in here. I, I wanted to, you, you, you mentioned Brian Robinson. Are they going to yep. strap big baby country up at the beginning of the season and just try to ride him? Are you convinced of that now?
3: I'm not convinced of anything that they do, but that's what I would hope they do. This is not even close. He's the best back on the team, and everybody knows. It. Even the backs know. It. Everybody knows. It. And so, because he's also been – I mean, this guy came out of SEAL Team 6 training. So what do you see? It's not even a surprise. What he had to do – he was running against Alabama's first team. <laughs> He sat behind two first-round running backs. You know he was practicing against all the guys in the NFL, and this dude is oh phenomenal. That's why I'm excited. They've now got really have some good players that they've acquired. Um, That's why I mentioned Big Phil Mathis. He's not a he's not a. But typically they blow it. Second round? No, 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 dude. He's all he's all that you want to see. Solid. You haven't heard a word out of him. He hadn't missed a second of practice. You can almost just count on them. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're they are like, they're morphed out of some, some cartoon. John Allen was at practice the other day, and I swear to God, I thought, oh, man, ACL, he's done. He got caught up in a big pile. And he kind of jumped off, and that was it. He goes, I'm good. <laughs> they're like, they're bionic. They're different. You know, they play for a higher, they have a higher standard. And that's what it's all about and they do it physically, and they get after So now we just got to get the results. Our problem is that we got to get results, and results are third downs and scoreboard. And on both of those right now, we're just not good enough to get what we need to get.
1: Are you excited about the prospect that Logan Thomas might be ready to play in the opener?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but see, that that's fool's goal to me. What happens if he doesn't? Do you fall apart? So the kid, eighty-eight, right now. I, I'm, to me, I'm going in the season with Amari Rodgers because he's the only guy that's there. Everybody else, you know, seven guys start, only one finishes. So, I mean, I got to go with the guy. I know you hate it, but I
1: I love I can't Armani. Go I, I, on. I, I really like Armani Rodgers so far. He's you know, he's, oh, he my God, great. He's impressed. But you, but, you know, and, and but you Eli think Wolf, Logan, you think Logan Thomas is a really good player, don't you?
3: I think he's I think he's a Pro Bowl talent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's he's everything. I mean, he's like morphed uh, a bigger version of what Amari Rogers will ultimately be, because he made a position adjustment change, and he's up to the task. I mean, he's a he's a thrill to watch. I don't want to get sucked into one. And then what happens if he doesn't? We don't have him. Uh, Bates. Oh my God. He just unfortunately he got the injury i love him to death but if he can't play he can't help me we may have to wait for curtis hodges when i say wait maybe six who knows but i remember this whenever they do get him on the field in the red zone it's over six eight not gonna be able to cover it you can't cover him. this dude i go wow but again i've said this about a lot of people can he get to the field Right. Can he can he stay on the field? That we don't we don't know. Um, you got to play with who you have, and who we have is what I got to go with. And I know you hate it, but I've got to do that because the rest of the guys they're not there. I mean, like Trey Turner, like some nitwit who does the programs still has players that are on a pup list starting in the program.
1: <laughs> well, they just. They- they they don't have to update. No,
3: they think it's cute. No, no, no. They think it's marketing.
1: Okay. Well, you are not swear mar- to God. you're not marketing yeah. Trey Turner unless he's playing sh- a shortstop for you. They have um.
3: I, every program I look at mm-hmm. has Chase Young on it. it. has all of them on there. Right. How hard is it to update it now with the technology we have?
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: No, sir, this is the thing that pisses me off. It's like either you're attention to detail or you're not or you're lazy or you're promoting. Whatever it is, to me, is garbage. How about the guy who's actually playing in the game? You're a player. You go in the locker room to give you the program, and you look up there, and there's Neil Jacobs. Starting. Can I and ask, you know Neil is, is,
1: I, Neil's are, is the best. Can I ask you one more question about a player that's not going to play in the regular season?
3: Go ahead. You're going to do it anyway.
1: Go ahead. <laughs> There's nothing I can do to stop you. I want you you to just tell everybody what it's been like to watch Taylor Heineke as the backup quarterback for this team, but the kind of relationships he has, the kind of respect he garners. Just a couple – give me your thoughts about Taylor Heineke.
3: Played well last week. Yep. And he needed to because the first shot came out, you got to be kidding me. He did it, and he's capable of doing it. He's the guy that they rally around. him. I look at their body language. If something doesn't go well for him, almost over half the team comes to acknowledge him. He he is, oh, man, he's just one of those kind of guys. He gets it. He's got to continue to develop. He threw it well. He's just got to anticipate, get rid of the ball quicker, that makes up for arm strength. Just get rid of it quicker. Get rid of it quicker. Or run. Be decisive. And so he's that kind of guy I feel comfortable with. I'm never in a panic. That's why I go, he's going to play in this. He can play in this league 10 years. If he simply just gets with the right people or stays here, but he's got to win. If he doesn't win and his limitations – or the reason? Oh, he can't. Well, then you're in trouble.
1: Well, yeah. Because if I'm, just I'm talking about him, I'm just ta- talking about him as a backup quarterback in this league. You know, the, yeah, he the, can do the, it. P- the faith that his teammates have in him. You, you, you've he seen it up it. close. Okay.
3: Um, oh, you can feel it. Oh, no, he can do it. Right, he, I, he's got all that.
1: I got two quick ones to end this with. Number one I is this. Number one is this. What's the player who's on the bubble right now? What's he going through, getting ready for his last chance on Saturday night?
3: His whole future, you don't know where you are, especially if he's married or has kids. If he's single, whatever, you know, he's cool. He's living in a suitcase anyway. But the guy with a kid or a wife that doesn't work with that, that's the guy that's running like his pants are on fire. That's why the guy I'm trying not to disrespect and start talking about a game down the road three weeks from now. It's it's disrespectful. (laughs) Because for somebody, no, but you do it all the time. You don't care, and
1: then,
3: and of course, and you never lose because again, you're the house. But so you win either way.
1: Uh-huh, yeah, okay. I
3: can't do that to these guys because right. I, I, you know, it's too much. It's too mm-hmm. much emotion into it, and I'm never. I'm not going to do it.
1: Did you know you were going to make in Cincinnati your rookie year? For those of you that don't know, Doc was – broke my arm. I was hurt. Oh, that's right. You broke your arm. So you yeah, in, I broke my arm. Yeah. So they put you on injured reserve.
3: No, they didn't. Paul Brown told me it kept me active. I came back and broke it again. No, I didn't. It's a horror story, and nobody cares. But I, what I'm telling well, you I, is I care. that I care, if I you're care. not starting, if you're not the starter <laughs> or you're playing behind, like Bob Trump is all pro, if you're playing behind somebody, you don't know what's going to happen because an injury to another position could affect you. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what happens. It could be nothing about you, but if they had a un- fortunate injury or something they didn't anticipate, then that's the way it goes. But again, you have to you don't know, especially on a team that's not winning. The worst place you want to be is with a non-playoff environment or team because you just already know. Nobody really knows and everything changes. There's never consistency. So yeah,
1: that's scary, Doc. Because you
3: don't you don't know. I
1: I like talking about Doc's career, um, and and uh, and he doesn't. You do, but nobody I, cares. He doesn't, but you know, Doc, you know, was a, a, a great player at UCLA, um, Rose Bowl champion, uh, and then was drafted in the fourth round by Cincinnati. And so in that first okay. – by the way, a good team. I mean, that the, the Cincinnati teams team. of the oh, 70s smart. were, 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 Paul were Brown. good teams. Paul Brown. You had Genius. Ken Anderson, Genius. a quarterback. You just mentioned Trumpy was the tight end. I, um, oh, yeah. Isaac Curtis. Uh, yeah, Isaac Curtis. Uh, Booby Clark. Had Lamar Had Lamar Parrish already come to Washington oh, yet or the not? the best. He was the best. Yeah. Leap and
3: Lamar, the best by far. You can't so, throw far on Leaping Lamar.
1: You yeah. you broke your arm in the first training camp? First preseason game first in preseason Green Bay. First preseason game against the Packers. Um okay. Green Bay, yeah. Um, but, you, but you had a sense that you were going to make the team before that or not? A
3: sense? Yeah, I was a fool. Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> I was trying to start. I
3: never thought I wasn't going to start. Yeah, no, you don't go into this. Make the team. Are you, yeah, no, dude, I. Yeah. You don't get it. You don't. You don't laugh at this stuff <laughs> No, I, d- think, I. I do. Uh, get, I do no, get it. No, but you don't. You but, can't. No, I do. You. You. Yeah. Really. All kidding aside, you really don't because <laughs> you don't understand what it's all about. You really? And you don't understand numbers. No, no. You understand that. What I mean is, a position somewhere else could be depleted. that could affect you. That's what I mean. Right. If you're not starting, you're on the bubble. Yeah, but because you, if they don't need you, in my if they don't need you, you're not somebody they go, we cannot lose that person. It can happen to anybody. Yeah, it could. And that's what these guys are going through. I don't know their background enough to know, and I don't I can't predict what we do because I don't think like they think. So I have no idea. That's why I don't get involved in that.
1: You because know, the guy
3: I would keep, the yeah. guy I like, they may not like him for different reasons.
1: The team that Doc got drafted by those uh, the Bengals. I'm looking it up right now. Archie Griffin was on that team. Pete Johnson. They Pete had a, John, yeah. They had an all. They had a big time uh, Ohio State backfield, huh? What was, oh my god! Yeah. Why wasn't Archie Griffin a good pro? Well, he
3: was a good pro. Why he wasn't great? He was damn good because <clears throat> he could block. He was dependable. He wasn't at Ohio State.
1: He's in the NFL. That's
3: why. Because what happens is that it's like the Alabama. When you're surrounded by all them bullies, and he's outstanding in his own right, right, it's just they overwhelm you. Now you separate it because the NFL is the equalizer. Because everybody's good. Some guys are exceptional, but everybody's good. And so um, I love Griff, man. Man, I went home with Griff for Thanksgiving. Man, I was... Griff, man, to this day, when he was AD at Ohio State, because I never let him forget that we kicked their ass in Rose Bowl. And that was was like losing. That was death to them. They were number one undefeated, blah. blah, blah, blah. So, no, the Ohio experience was weird and different and all that. But in terms of quality people, man, Archie's brother Ray was on that team. Pete Johnson loved Pete. Man, Pete. These guys, they were good dudes, man, and the Browners. So, you see, that's why I understood the the essence of collegiate experience because the Notre Dame kids, Ohio State, it was different. So, because of what their expectation level is so high, they never expect to lose.
1: I mean, you – And you get that. Doc, really, I mean, I know that we've talked about this, you know, before – but Doc played in the biggest of the biggest games. That Rose Bowl that he played in, that they won, beating number one Ohio State, undefeated Ohio State, Dick Vermeil against Woody Hayes. I mean, think about that matchup as a coaching matchup at the Rose Bowl. And then just a few years later, you were back in the Rose Bowl again, winning a Super Bowl. I mean, you really were on some massive stages in your career. You just in don't have career. to
3: have – you, this podcast you just do whatever you want to do and you don't yeah, you're do. making so much money you have so many sponsors that you can do this
1: yeah i like and not doing, lose
3: your position
1: i like doing this you know i like doing yeah. this and i and i and i love um when you talk about like dick for and and some of the coaches that you had uh, at UCLA. I love when you've told stories about UCLA being on campus when Bill Walton and John Wooden's the coach and and being oh, there for amazing. those years and and uh Well, yeah.
3: This this is why I have so many problems here in this market. of issues that people not they understanding. You know, it's it and you do it because you also as a coach is that People think I'm talking that I'm making making it up or that it, they don't understand it because very few people actually win. A lot of people participate. Very few win. And very few win consistently. And they really don't understand the formula. I can smell it. I can see it. I've been around it. So when you win on every – I've won on every level. See, when you're undefeated when you're 13 – it changes your life because one man, Herman McCulley, told us he goes, "I'm not losing a damn game. We're winning every game." What? You think you said? I mean,
1: you scared the was death. Was this baseball guy. or football?
3: Baseball, baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I was you a baseball talking. guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. I know. And so, so
3: baseball to me still my favorite because it requires you to think. And we were we had signals, and that's why I'm so disappointed. In a lot of these coaches especially to make the kid come all the way to the sideline to get a damn play. You know what I mean? I'm going, Hey man, we had we had signals when I was 11 and 12. So it's a cerebral sport. You score it and you learn to score it while it's going on. Just really a great game. It's amazing. But we've become so lazy in America that you want everything's got to be processed fast and you don't have any patience and we got to speed everything up and, so live with it. But when you win, and the expectation is to win, and then when you lose, like I'm also losing, it's like, I, I swear to God, I, I cannot. So in the worst days of my life, people were throwing stuff. <laughs> in Cincinnati, they were blowing, they were burning trash cans. Mm-hmm. And people say you suck. And it was the racial overtone there. I never experienced like the Midwest, never lived in the South. It's different. Everything's different. And so that was different for me. And then I realized that to go through all that you got to do, go through and not win, it's not worth it. You have to win. To me, it's like oxygen. You got to win. And then nothing infuriates me more than when people lose and make a ton of money, don't seem to give a damn. And that's why I think the NCAA the dumbest group of adults I've ever been around ever heard of in my life and next is the NFL because it should be a million dollars per player to win a Super Bowl a million and because the incentives should be so high cuz that's all what we played for look go back and listen to the tapes guys were 70 all we talked about was the money yeah because we had to win to get it now these guys come to camp fat remember all the Rolls Royces we had over at the park? There were five Rolls Royces used to be over at the park. I go, and nobody said nothing to them? There's no way in the hell somebody would pull up in a Rolls Royce and we wouldn't win it. We'd have checked them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'd have checked them. But these guys,
3: so that's why my frustration comes that, you know, it's like a dying breed because nobody cares. Yeah. They want to get their money, they go get in, everybody's on the microphone. I cut them damn microphones off and say, prove it. Show me. They talk their way in and out of stuff now. no.
1: Show me. The parking lot out in Ashburn you used to get a big kick out of when they were, you know, 5 and 11. It pissed
3: me off so bad. Yeah, (laughs) they were Rolls Royces. Yeah. And they got, I mean, just I mean a, what, why do you do this every time? I'm never coming on your show again. Wh-
1: this, okay. is it. All right. Let's,
3: this is my last time.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. That I'm ever going to
3: be on, but I appreciate it. Well, it you know what?
1: I, I, yeah. <laughs> it won't be the last time you're invited. I'm just so glad you were available because you had so many choices. No, no, um, so, you on no, ser- You know what? No, what?
3: Today, I get the last laugh today because I get the microphone. Today at 3 o'clock. I am I'm going to open up the show will, about
1: you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um Doc, will be on 980 today and tomorrow, yeah. 3 o'clock. No, um, no.
3: I'm in Richmond. I'll be in Richmond. I will not be on Friday. Oh, right, I'm going right, down through a... Right. right. Yeah, promotion down at uh, oh, cool. Richmond yeah, with uh, the uh,
1: organization. Right. Something that you're getting paid to do. And then no, no. S- I'm
3: doing charity work. on Saturday...
1: Back. And then on Saturday night, seven o'clock on NBC Sports Washington, yeah. Kenny Albert and Doc Walker, and he will be yeah. talking about the Ravens as the Beltway Bullies right from the jump. That's right. And it's That's it's right. time to end that. It's time to end that twenty-two game preseason NFL uh, all-time. Now you're talking. All right. Um, love you. Now I'll, 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 I'll talk to you later. Thanks.
3: Love you back and uh, listen. Um, you won't be. I, and just don't don't miss me today at three, please. I'm not because I'm gonna have a tribute to you. <laughs> okay, do do me yeah, a favor.
1: <laughs> try to go one show without mentioning my name. That would be great. But
3: I can't.
1: I can't <laughs> okay. do it. Goodbye. I can't
3: do it. You are ratings draw.
1: Goodbye. I'm see using you, you as uh, a
3: ratings
1: draw. Why do you think I'm having you on on my key day of the week? Right now.
3: Because Cooley couldn't do it. Because <laughs> no, Cooley couldn't no, do it. No, that's not true. I know That's did. not true at all. I know. Look, it's okay. Uh, okay. It doesn't hurt Good. my feelings.
1: All right. Have, yeah. a, have another uh, great yeah. time on Saturday. Good show today, and I'll talk to you. See you. Thank
3: you. Thank you, Chris. My best. All
1: right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Walker, everybody. Uh, that is it for the show today. Back tomorrow. Yes. Yes. Scheduled is chris cooley have a good day you can't make this up
3: oh kevin sheehan where are you